The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. As you'll have heard in the news headlines there, and as I'm sure you've heard over the last couple of hours, uh, the jury in the Ashing Murphy murder trial has returned a unanimous guilty verdict. Um, Joseph Pushka, of course, denied the murder of the 23-year-old school teacher at the Grand Canal Way on January 12th, 2022. Uh, but the jury have found him unanimously guilty. Miss Murphy had 11 stab wounds in the right side of her neck, which caused acute blood loss and her heart to stop. Uh, we've been talking about this uh, since four o'clock. We're going to continue uh, that discussion now because I think the tenor of the texts coming in to the show are pretty much the same as they were in the days after that attack in January 2022. And it is that it's this kind of tragic and terrifying in equal measure. But for some reason, it has struck a chord and resonated with so many people um, around the country. Uh, With me now to continue uh, the conversation, Sarah Benson is the CEO of Women's Aid, uh, Brianna Parkins, the Irish Times columnist and our own technology correspondent, uh, Jess Kelly. Um, Jess, I might start with you because I remember early on, in the trial, um, you talking here uh, in the studio about uh, your decision not to continue following it, kind of in, in great detail. Yeah, and like, just to say, like, as you read that intro there, I've got little tears in my eyes again. Like, it's just been a horrific case for women. And like a few of us in the office were sitting at the desk there earlier on, so upset because, you know, this could be any woman. And I know that that's been said a lot, but that's what has been hammered into me about this case and I did make the decision not to follow. I didn't make the decision. I couldn't follow this case because it broke my heart and I felt so bad for her family. I feel so sad for the life that she hasn't got to live. And the first day of the trial, I was sitting in the chair opposite where I'm sitting now and I listened to Steph talk to Pat Kenny about the opening statement. And I remember Steph saying, you know, it's been said that this trial is not going to be about Ashley Murphy. And I remember looking up going, what? How could this not be about Ashley Murphy? Now, I understand in the courts, it has to be about justice being carried out and so on. But as a woman who goes around, like I talk to my mum every day and the last thing my mum says to me at the end of every phone call is be careful. And so I spend my life going around being careful. And this woman who was 23 came home from work and went for a walk. She was being careful. She went in the daytime she went when it was bright out. She went on a place where loads of people go and walk. She should have been safe. And, you know, the, the conversation that moves on to, you know, well, what can we do to make women feel safe? Ashley felt safe. She should have been safe. And the scary thing is she wasn't safe. And as a 34-year-old woman who has got an eight-year-old niece, I'm now scared because I don't know, can I feel safe? And is Ellie, who's eight, going to grow up and be 34 and still be scared? And so I did make the active decision not to listen to it just because I'm scared. Brianna, is that why it resonated with so many people? Because it 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 wasn't the kind of walking home late. This, sorry, I should say right at the end, this is not an attempt to kind of, again, as I said earlier, kind of create a hierarchy of victims or in any way victim blame people who do find themselves victims of violence in this situation. But this wasn't the walking home late at night thing. You know what I mean? This she, she this ticked all the boxes yeah. in terms of what you suspect would be a perfectly benign activity and jog along the canal in the middle of the day. I think as women, 
to go out of your door every day. You have to tell yourself, I guess, half-truths and little lies about what's going to keep you safe. So carrying your keys in your hand, not walking home late at night, um, changing the clothes that you're wearing. If you do all these things, you'll be safe. If you go out jogging in the middle of the day, you'll be safe. And that's just not true. It doesn't deter all attacks. You'll never be 100% safe. And in the media, I remember years ago arguing over what I thought uh, a case should have gone on the front page the editor sort of talking about what he considered to be, in quotation marks, a perfect victim. And that is when a crime happens to someone that we're like, that shouldn't happen to them. Now, violence shouldn't happen to any woman. But when it happens to, you know, a white, middle-class, well-educated teacher who was just going for a walk after work, as you said, that could be any of us. And that strikes us more. And it shouldn't. And it's wrong. Um, and, you know, I know journalists have, have done a tremendous amount of work to make sure we do not remember or forget, sorry, that we don't forget the Mongolian woman that was unfortunately murdered, Miss Surendan Dodge, um, as well. They've tried to create as much noise around that as possible. But unfortunately, it's when someone like us, that's when it really hits home. And for me, these crimes, anytime a, a murder of a woman happens, they, they stay with me forever and they, they change my behaviours. In what ways does this change your behaviour? Yeah, I'll tell you, like, unfortunately, it breaks my heart. I hate bringing it up, but Jill Ma died in, mm-hmm. in 2012. And every time I walk home and I go, mm, I can't get a cab, maybe I'll wait, maybe I'll just start, I'll chance it. I never do because I think of Jill Ma. And I hate that I remember the way that she died and not what she did and, you know, her life and what she was about and what she brought to other people. I remember how she died. And now when I go for a walk, cause I like to go for a walk along the canal with my headphones in. I don't bring the headphones and I don't go on certain days or if it's dark out because mm-hmm. of Ashling now. Mm. Because Sarah, that like that experience that in in the in the window between Ashley Murphy's murder and Joseph Pushka being charged, some of these conversations started, and then obviously they had to be kind of paused uh, when a trial was looming. But that experience of Brianna saying, "Listen, I don't walk on certain days. I don't wear the headphones." Like it's it's an experience that's utterly alien to me. I don't mind telling you. Like I just feel like the public realm is just mine to go wherever I please, whenever I please. I don't I don't think anything of it. You know, and it's and I what what struck me in the wake of it was that this was not an experience shared. I I never suspected it was experience shared by everyone, but it was when my mother and my sister and people who are kind of uh, very confident and outgoing people and very kind of athletic people and people I would say are kind of strong women were saying, oh, no, like we would cross the road or I would walk on the roadside so that you can't be, you know, it's harder to push someone onto a road than push them into a ditch, that type of thing. I mean, it was an unbelievable eye-opener for me. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, yes, it started a conversation, but on the other hand, Women's Aid will be in our 50th year next year. And since 1996, we have been maintaining the archive, the femicide archive in Ireland. And since 1996, 263 women have lost their lives through violence. And these are women from all walks of life, all ranges of ages, you know, um, and experiences and life experiences. Um, and Ashling is one of those women. Um, we also know that 13% of women who will die in violent circumstances, it will be a stranger. We know that 87% it will be somebody who's known to them. And we also know that the most dangerous place for a woman is actually in her own home. But at the same time, conversations like this um, very much tap into that broad socialisation and, and, and what you're saying resonates perfectly because men and women, boys and girls are socialised into a particular society and it is a society where 
there's a terrible focus on what women should and could do to stay safe. But it's also the fact that uh, male violence is, you know, uh, is a reality from domestic violence, through sexual violence, through sexual harassment, through FGM, through trafficking. There's a whole spectrum and an awful lot of the conversations we have around kind of, you know, the things that we do. Absolutely, there was a, a, a huge kind of conversation happened after Ashling Murphy was murdered. But what also had happened was almost one year earlier, Sarah Everard had been murdered in the United Kingdom. And in fact, actually, when we took a step back and we looked at it, actually, we were primed as a society to really start to have that conversation. So I don't think it was one moment in time. I think there has been a cumulative um build towards perhaps a moment in time now where we don't squander the conversation. Well, yeah, I was going to I was about to ask how how do we not miss this up? How do we how do how do we convert these conversations that we're having into a cultural change? Yeah, and that's the really tough work and that's the long work. What I will say is, you know, there's a lot of optimistic, you know, things at the moment in the sense that we have a national domestic and sexual violence strategy, a third one, and I've been through all three. This is the first one that talks about prevention, for example. It talks about educating young people. Uh, It talks about the curriculum, our sexuality and relationships education, our SPHE, because this doesn't start at intimate relationships. This doesn't start with adults. This starts with how we see each other, how we consider equality, um, how we consider difference and how we you know, support our young people to respect and operate as equals um, and not particularly with respect to to the issue of kind of sex gender is around those really narrow sexist stereotypes, which are the sexist stereotypes that can start as comments, but then can build to certain behaviours that perhaps are fobbed off as being ah, sure, it's just, you know, Mm. and then can lead to an escalate to extraordinary acts of violence and violence that can be perpetrated over many, many years in domestic violence or or single acts of extraordinary brutality like uh, what was perpetrated against Ashling. So it's it's the kind of cascading effect. I heard, and this is a it was in a completely different conversation, but it was in the context of road safety. Someone made the point that, you know, there, there's evidence that if you let people kind of go into the yellow box or kind of go through the orange light, it is a direct correlation on kind of much more serious road traffic accidents. There's a cascading effect in yeah. society of 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 that kind of lax attitude to the mm. small things leading to bigger things. Absolutely, I take it's the yeah. same here then. It was really interesting. Brianna mentioned um, uh, Jill Maher and... This is where men come into the conversation. Um, I have the privilege of knowing Tom Marr, um, you know, who was Jill's husband, who uh, is an Irish man, moved back to Ireland for a number of years and did some of the most extraordinary work against male violence against women um, from the perspective of a male victim of male violence in that his, 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 his sweetheart, his, his wife had been brutally murdered. Um, and he became part of the conversation, part of the activism. And, and the reality is this isn't a women's problem. Uh, women can't stay safe if there's going to be perpetrators there. It, it doesn't matter if it's three o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the afternoon. If somebody is going to seek to harm somebody, you can't walk around hypertense constantly. And actually, I think that was what happened is that, you know, there's I mentioned that it's 13 percent of, of women will die violently at the hands of a stranger. But it's always something that we hold when we are out in public is that the risk is there. And of course, when it happened, then it was like we were right <laughs> and we're right to hold ourselves. But that's not fair. And it really has a real impact on our, our, our emotional well-being. And but men have to be part of the conversation and the activism on this. Uh, Sarah, Brianna and Jess are, are going to stay with me. But Henry McKean has been speaking to people in Tullamore in the wake of the verdict. Oh, I'm happy about it. Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted about it. Like I'm delighted for our family. I'm delighted for the people at Tullamore. And plus... 
he deserves to what he got. Even talking about it now is very upsetting, you know, for people. So it's still upsetting to talk oh, about it? Oh, it is, it. yeah, because I have a daughter that's 20 years of age, and the minute I heard about that, even hearing about it now, looking at it on the news, anything, it's still very upsetting. It makes you want to cry all the time, because when you have a daughter yourself, and that happens, you know what I mean? I feel happy for the family. They served the Lord under the right kingdom, sent him away for life. He shouldn't have done what he done. He's an evil man. Totally delighted, super, super verdict, yeah. Uh, I think that was the right decision to make. Uh, it's terrible, like, the things that happens nowadays, especially around the area where people walk, and it's terrible, and I'm very happy he was found guilty because it's a fair decision, I think. Perfect order. And for you, your local Tullamore man, how is the feeling in the area towards the Murphy family? Sympathy, yeah. Yeah, everyone would be completely with them. Everyone. It's so sad it was. Um, yeah, so justice has been served and I'm just sorry that the family had to go through the, the hardship of the trial. And what's the feeling locally here? Um, I'd say everyone is still very, very upset and very angry. I think it's um, a good result for the community to know that um, someone has been found guilty and... It puts us all at ease, I think, um, and I think for the family as well, knowing that they can finally move forward after this result, and he's someone has been brought to justice. Yeah, that was uh, just people in Tullamore in the last little while speaking to our own reporter, uh, Henry McKean. Brianna, how confident are you that we won't uh, squander the opportunity, as Sarah describes it? I mean, it goes in cycles. Um, it, looking at the conversation that's happening in Australia right now, we've had six women uh, die at the hands of men or alleged male killers in 10 days. Six women in 10 days. Now, we went through a cycle like this in sort of the mid-2000s, 2000, 2010s, and we got to the stage where it was one woman being killed at the hands of a man per week. And I remember the quote from Annabelle Crabb, and she said, if sharks were attacking women the same at the same rates, we would probably drain the ocean. And that conversation was big for a couple of years and then it disappeared and we're still facing the same problems. And in fairness, the the things have been done properly. There have been, you know, huge prevention programs been brought into schools. The laws have tightened. Um, we've done the same thing here. We've, we've tried to tighten the legal gaps that um, perpetrators or victims tend to fall through and the early signs. So changing the, the laws around stalking, strangulation, those early indicators, making sure that we can get a, you know, a conviction or at least a report in early. Those things happened in Australia and the rates are still high. Mm. Um, so I'm not truly confident. I, I just worry that the onus will be on women again to keep themselves safe. So you said the onus being on women, That's because that's what I was going to ask. To what extent do you suspect there's lots of men listening to this and they're not alone? They're in absolute agreement, but they think, you're not talking about me. Like I don't, yeah, I don't actually need to do anything. too many. I mean, if anyone's out there going, but not all men, well, one's enough, mate. Mm-hmm. One's enough. And we don't know which ones are doing this and which ones aren't. So really, it, sadly, men respect other men's opinions more than they well, and they respect women's opinions. So it's up to men to police each other. If you hear those kind of jokes or you hear those small inklings that maybe someone doesn't respect women, to make it socially unacceptable enough for them to not do that because they'll face social exclusion from their peers. I don't know if that's actually happening on the ground level. 
Mm. You wonder, Jess, to what extent, like sometimes uh, cultural change can happen naturally and sometimes it needs a nudge from things like legislation. And you do wonder things like the... um, the legislation around kind of sharing of pornography, you yeah, know, and, and, and images bill and stuff like that, yeah, bill and uh, and that. That, that that might serve to kind of be one of those little nudges. Yeah. Like the ads that the Department of Justice have put on for that uh, bill, I found really impactful because initially you're kind of like, ah, come on. Like, you know, it, it's almost like, do these conversations really need to happen? But then when you see Gardy talking to a kid and him going, oh, she sent them to me and I wasn't really going to do it. I was just saying I was going to do it. It's so impactful. And, you know, they were played during the Rugby World Cup when a lot of men would have been watching the telly. And I hope a few of them kind of shifted in their seat and sat up straight. But I do want to say, like, I'm so lucky. Some of my best friends in the entire world are men. And nothing made me prouder. I was in the pub a few weeks ago and there was someone who's not normally with us with us. And he said something and one of my friends called it out. And I just sat there and I was so happy because that made me feel safer. So Mm. going back to what I said at the top of what can make me feel safer, if I can see that the people around me, whether they're men, women, mugs of tea, I don't care. If they can just be on my side and call stuff out so that I don't have to and I'm not burnt out with exhaustion or I'm not going defensive or being the hysterical woman or being overly emotional. If somebody can be an ally and take that burden off me and my sisters and my nieces and my friends, then that is good enough for me because I would mm-hmm. love to say that, you know, in the next five years, we'll, we won't talk again. This isn't going to be an issue. We'll never have this conversation. Yeah. I don't believe it's going to happen. But little changes came or came, as they say, it makes a difference. Sarah, I mean, that possibly is notable because of how rare it was. Was it, Jess? 100%. And that's part of the problem, right? Yeah. And so... Like, I don't think there's a, a going to be a kind of a breaking out of people being held to account in... WhatsApp groups all of a sudden today. It'd be nice to think it would happen, but I don't think it will. Is that my being a bit defeatist? No, I think you're being realistic to a certain extent. I I do think, though, that there's opportunities. And again, if there are men listening, we brought over a, a great guy last year called Jackson Katz, um, who founded the Nonviolent Mentors Initiative in the state. He's a guy who wrote a book called The Macho Paradox. Any man listening, please check out Jackson Katz on YouTube. He's someone who's unapologetic about saying men have a really good role to play here. He also is very supportive because he talks about the fact that very often in a peer scenario where, and it could be everything from at the end of a stag night, somebody says, I want to go to a brothel, I want to go to a strip club um, or starts behaving really badly towards women in a club or on the street, is that most of the group actually are very uncomfortable with that. But Mm -hmm. they all think that they're the only one who's uncomfortable with it. And they fear that their social capital is going to be hit if they are the one. And actually, the data is that if one of them speaks up, most of the others will actually. And it's usually one who's actually leading the bad behaviour. Yeah. And that, and so he's he's talks about it very really, but also is very helpful to young men, to, to men of all ages who want to be allies, who want to be a support. So that work is needed to counterbalance the likes of your Andrew Tates. And, and I think we need to be very realistic that there are disenfranchised young boys you know, who are exercising, exercising um, stuff online, which is being fed to them by algorithms. Mm-hmm. And I think social media has a lot to, to play here as well. So there's a lot to do. Yeah. But there's also there's also answers out there as well. What's his name? Jackson Katz, K-A-T-Z. K-A-T-Z, Jackson Katz. Uh, Sarah, listen, thanks a million for coming into studio. Sarah Benson is the CEO of Women's Aid. Brianna Parkins, the Irish Times columnist and our own technology correspondent. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four. 
on News Talk.